What is GFR? How does rhabdomyolysis affect the body? And why do I need my kidneys? Or should I say, adult knees? Thanks for joining me on Brush Up on EMS. I'm Bob, your colorful host. And if you're new to the podcast, greetings and hallucinations. If you're a faithful listener, thanks for tuning in again. Now, let's challenge some common thought on renal emergencies. Stay up on all the brush up on EMS genre from Facebook to YouTube to the new thing that we've got, podcasts. Podcasts can be found on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, and various other web podcast suppliers. You also can like, comment, and subscribe on Facebook, Podcasts, and YouTube. So stay up on all the brush up on EMS genre. So what is GFR? Well, GFR is glomular filtration rate, but to understand that, we've got to go back to anatomy and physiology of the kidneys to understand how glomular filtration works and to understand the rate. So as the blood leaves the heart, it goes through arteries and it reaches the kidneys, and these waste products get exchanged in the kidneys and get filtered out. And as the blood is returning to the heart, it's carrying this clean blood back, and so it's circulating throughout the body. We understand that in the kidney system, we have two kidneys, two ureters, a bladder, and a urethra. And we really focus on, in a lot of our professions, just looking at urine excretion. But there's a whole lot of other processes that are happening inside of the kidneys that affect people's daily lives and how their body is functioning and we can have a lot of side effects if the kidneys aren't doing their job correctly. So the kidneys maintain our blood volume and it maintains this through homeostasis and when the renal arteries are sending that blood into the kidneys to get filtered it's going through little arterioles to the nephrons and we've heard about nephrons before you might have even heard of the word nephritis you know inflammation of the kidney the nephr. And so the nephrons do two things. It filters the blood and it also produces urine. And and it's making this urine formation so that we can have urine excretion. And so when the kidneys are filtering the blood, the blood is collected into the larger veins and sent back to the heart via the renal veins. So we've kind of already understood this, this circulation that's happening through the kidneys. And you might have already understood that the kidneys filter blood. So first off, when the, the kidneys are filtering this blood that's coming through, It's coming through the larger afferent arteriole. And there's afferent and efferent arteriole. Afferent A and efferent E. So you could think afferent as the entryway and then efferent as the exit. So the afferent arteriole brings this blood in through a much larger hole and it goes through the glomerulus. And so the glomular filtration is happening in the glomerulus. And as it's filtering through this this kind of windy road going through the glomerulus, 
it's exchanging the products and because of hydrostatic and osmotic pressure it drives filtration of water inorganic materials glucose amino acids and this is where we get urea and creatinine that are getting filtered and that we're going to eventually see show up in our urine excretion and so glomular filtrate is those products the water the inorganic the glucose, the amino acids, metabolic waste, urea, and creatinine, that is our glomular filtrate. And so a glomular filtration rate, a GFR, is that filtrate measured out in one minute. Now a normal person is going to have a GFR and their filtrate in a volume in a healthy person is going to be about 150 liters per day in a female whereas a male is going to have about 180 liters per day now when we think about kidneys again we're going back to urine excretion and so how much urine are they producing you know how do we tell if someone is in kidney failure based on their urine excretion and how do we tell if someone has healthy working kidneys well to be honest urine and the filtration system of the kidneys urine only accounts for about one percent of the filtration whereas 99 percent of it is reabsorbed back into the body kidneys were never designed to completely eliminate all of the metabolic waste products they were allowed to eliminate these waste products to maintain a normal biological status that homeostasis so reabsorption is about 99% of what the kidneys are doing and 1% is the urine excretion because if the urine excreted about 99% and we only had reabsorption of 1% we lose all the water that we in intake inside of the, our body and we constantly 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 be fighting dehydration that's why we have factors inside of our brain to help with reminding us that we're thirsty and also when we have high blood sugar levels our kidneys are helping filter that and kicking out some of that and we're intaking more fluid because of the the kidneys kicking out more fluid and so this constant cycle is based on this reabsorption or the kicking out of the the products so back to that glomular filtration the the efferent arterial which has a couple branches in, in the network capillaries which are called paratubular capillaries surround the renal tubule and these tubules then come off with approximate convoluted tubule which reabsorbs two-thirds of the filtrate so that filtrate that just came off the glomular our GFR glomular filtration rate gets reabsorbed in the proximal convoluted tubule and this is where the sodium potassium pump is working inside the kidneys and the sodium potassium pump helps reabsorb salt and where salt goes water follows and so the sodium potassium pump helps move the ions around the body, help maintain metabolic processes, help keep the body on a normal basis, keeping that homeostasis. And about half of the glucose and amino acids are reabsorbed at this stage. So keep this in mind. You have a diabetic who has high blood sugars. And you're wondering, well, shouldn't the kidneys be doing their job and filtering out their sugars well if we got super high blood sugars the kidneys are working overtime and first off the body's going to try to maintain homeostasis by trying to breathe off that sugar first then trying to use the bicarbonate system and finally the last thing to kick in is the kidneys 
because the kidneys are trying to exchange this glucose, but it's not going to be able to get rid of everything. Because again, it also has to maintain the hydration of the body and maintaining that water. And that's all based on that sodium potassium pump. So when the kidneys reduce waste to safe amounts, um, but they're not eliminating them, we can see certain waste products that do get eliminated, like drugs, um, alcohol, but not alcohol, all alcohols because they get converted to sugars, they get reabsorbed through the body. So that's why when someone drinks a lot of alcohol, they're still drunk. It doesn't completely just go through their body, get filtered, and get kicked out. They're constantly reabsorbing that alcohol, so that's how they stay drunk until eventually it gets down enough and it gets excreted and the body uses up the sugars and then eventually they're, they're done having the alcohol being in their system. So there is a the collecting duct that collects all of the urine that's going to be kicking out of the kidneys. This is where the H2O, the water, is absorbed based on the body's level. So one, we have hormones that are controlling this and one of them is the antidiuretic hormone. And so you remember me talking about alcohol. Well, alcohol also inhibits the antidiuretic hormone. And so ADH, as well as caffeine, also inhibits the antidiuretic hormone. And so when alcohol and caffeine inhibit the antidiuretic hormone, you guessed it, that means we're going to be excreting more water. We're going to be excreting more product out of our bladders, out of our uh, renal filtration system, out of the kidneys. And so when someone is dehydrated, more water is going to be absorbed into the body. The body has this homeostasis mechanism in that collecting duct to absorb more water. That's why you're going to have a higher concentrate coming out, which is going to look like darker urine. However, when we are hydrated, you have less water absorbed, which means you have less concentrate, it's more diluted, and you have clear urine. Not that your products that you're kicking out have certain colors, it's just more concentrated. So if you're dehydrated, you're gonna have more concentrated urine because the body's trying to retain that water, therefore it's going to look dark. Now when you have kind of a brown reddish tint in your urine, that is indicative of someone having blood that's being excreted. And the kidneys were never designed to excrete blood out from them. They were supposed to reabsorb and use and let the body deal with what the, the old blood products are supposed to happen. So that leads me into one of my next points, talking about blood being excreted through the kidneys. And a condition that is caused by blood being excreted through the kidneys is called rhabdomyolysis. Where the muscles are breaking down, we have this product that's being excreted, myoglobin, which is in your blood from the muscle breakdown and it starts getting excreted through the kidneys. Now we we think about rhabdomyolysis, especially in crush injuries and a, a extreme electrical shocks, maybe even snake bites. But have you ever thought about rhabdomyolysis in people with diabetic ketoacidosis, people with sepsis, drug abusers who are on meth, heroin, cocaine, or high dose blood pressure medications, i.e. statin medications. These can lead to rhabdomyolysis. And rhabdomyolysis has kind of a triad that we look at and we say, okay, this could be possible rhabdomyolysis. 
specifically muscle pains in the shoulder, thighs, and back. That'd be one side of the triangle. Second side would be muscle weakness and either trouble moving the arms or legs. And then thirdly, they have dark red, brown urine, or decreased urine. Remember how I talked about that dark red, brown urine, that's blood being excreted. And decreased urine means they're gonna be dehydrated. So if you see someone that you're treating in the, the EMS field, and they have muscle pains in the shoulder, thighs, and back. They have muscle weakness, and they have trouble moving their arms and legs, and they have dark red urine, or they have decreased urination, which you could also look at if they're dehydrated. This could be a good indication. But about half people don't have muscle-related symptoms. But if they have abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, fever, fast heart rate, confusion, dehydration, and lack of consciousness. Now think about how many things really have those kinds of signs and symptoms. There's a lot. But if they have an altered mental status, they're dehydrated, they have muscle weakness, that's a huge indication that we might be heading down the rabbit trail of rhabdomyolysis. So what's our treatment for rhabdomyolysis? Well, our treatment is going to consist of IV fluids to maintain pressure and maintain hydration of the body to keep the kidneys filtering the blood products. Also, do an EKG for electrolyte abnormalities because of that sodium-potassium pump and all of the other electrolytes that are being exchanged because of the kidneys filtering, they may have decreased filtration, so you may have increase in electrolyte abnormalities. Also, metabolic waste can show evidence on entitled CO2, which we've discussed in past episodes. Now, what are some other conditions that might come from the kidneys either shutting down or not working properly? Well, if we have increased sugar inside the body, especially in diabetics who have diabetic ketoacidosis, we're gonna have excessive urination, we're gonna have ketones, which are a byproduct of muscle and fat breakdown. Remember, I talked about that rhabdomyolysis, which is muscle breakdown. Well, think about those ketones. If you're seeing ketones in the urine, that could be indicative of rhabdomyolysis. So diabetics have kidney problems, and if they have excessive high sugars over an extended period of time, they can start leaning to kidney disease. And there's about five stages of kidney disease, which actually get broken down into six total, but there's five total stages. And there's a part, th part A and B in stage three. So remember that glomular filtration rate we talked about earlier? Well, an average male has 180 liters that they're going to filter in one day, which is about 125 milliliters per minute, which they're going to excrete about 1%, which is that 1.8 liters per day. So an average glomular filtration rate when they draw blood labs, if they're in stage one, they're gonna have a GFR greater than 90 milliliters per minute. If they're in stage two, they're gonna have a GFR that is 60 to 89 milliliters per minute. And you kind of see this progression that we start dropping by about points of 20 to 30 each time. And then when we start getting to the bottom and end stage, we start really reducing it. So the first time we have 90, the second in the mild cases, we have 60 milliliters per minute. And then in the moderate, in, a, in the 3A, we have 45 to 59 milliliters per minute. In the 3B, we have 30 to 44 milliliters per minute. In severe stages, we got 15 to 29 milliliters per minute of glomular filtration rate. And in end stage, end stage kidney disease, 
This is when we're going to call someone they're in kidney failure. Less than 15 milliliters per minute. So they're trying to work through 180 liters of fluids per day at 15 liters per minute or less. Which means they're not going to filter all of that, which means we're going to have increased metabolic waste products as well as changes in metabolic problems. They might be metabolic acidosis, alkalosis, depending on where they're at. So dealing with that, someone who's on dialysis, if they don't make it to dialysis, we're going to have possibly some metabolic acidosis going on inside their system. So someone has kidney failure. And then eventually their kidneys fail altogether. They can't get them turned around. They've done dialysis, which lasts about four hours every time they do a dialysis session, about three times a week. And risk factors that they have to deal with are hypotension, increased potassium levels, sepsis, pericarditis. How could you tell that on a 12 lead? Well, you take a 12 lead and you look for elevation in all leads. And that would lead you to knowing that someone has pericarditis. And they also might deal with some anemia. So eventually, they're hoping to get a kidney transplant to let that kidney take over. And so this kidney transplant is not going to be replaced back where those other kidneys are. However, to make the kidney take and, you know, have a good room to make sure that it, it takes in the body and it's starting to filter the blood and they can attach it to the large vessels, the arteries and the veins, they're going to place it in the right lower abdominal region for this kidney transplant. And someone can run off of one kidney. They don't have to have both. So that's where a kidney transplant's gonna happen. So when we think about all of these things with kidneys and renal emergencies, the big thing to understand is the kidneys are amazingly designed and they help filter the products out, but at the same time, they're reabsorbing fluid. So when you think about someone being dehydrated, realize that the kidneys are doing their job to reabsorb that fluid. But if someone is kicking out fluid at the same time, they're peeing it off as well as their body is trying to reabsorb it, they're going to need more fluid. So when we look at blood pressures, think about, okay, if they're hypertensive, do we need to give them more fluid or if they're hypotensive, do they need fluid? Not everybody who is hypotensive needs fluid. And not everybody who's hypotensive needs fluid. But we have to look at all of those factors with a person presenting. You know, if they're hypotensive, we have to look at, okay, their blood pressure is low, but how low is it? You know, do we need to give them four liters of fluid? Because remember, there's no such thing better than whole blood. Whole blood is the best thing for them. What is normal saline? Normal saline is just osmotically normal for the body in pH balance, and it can be absorbed to help with volume. And it helps with getting fluids through the kidneys, but again, it doesn't carry waste products. It doesn't carry oxygen. So yes, it helps with hydration and it is a temporary solution for a permanent problem. But if someone really needs to have filtrate, to have this filtration process happening, the normal saline will only help to increase hydration. It will not do anything more than just that.
So that's kind of the final thoughts here for brush up on EMS. Remember, don't deviate from your protocols. Always, always, always challenge common thought. And from us here at Brush Up on EMS, have a great week and stay safe out there.